We live in a fast-paced world where many people are too busy to sit down and read books or news articles. But thanks to Newsly, you can now listen to the news you wish you had the time to read. By utilizing AI technology, a natural human voice reads you the news, helping you grasp the information faster and more efficiently. Newsly provides the latest news updates 24-7, letting you browse articles from topics you choose. It even has podcasts, including ours. And listeners of Rabbit Holes can get their first 30 days of premium for free, allowing you to enjoy an ad-free experience by using the special promo code in our episode description. So download Newsly today for free on iOS and Android or visit www.newsly.me so you can stay updated on the things that matter to you. into everything and nothing all at the same time uh, with me as always my sancho to my quiotic quest miss sarah rodriguez say hi sarah hey and we've got special guests today the specialist <laughs> of special guests uh the creator of ocean black and along with him uh voice actress in his show and uh you know a part of the whole machine we got ej wedge and patty lee say hi guys hi guys Hello. <laughs> so, um, you know what? Before we go diving into the news, uh, how's you guys' this week been? What's going on? You know, what, what's relevant in your neck of the woods? My, I've been forced to be on camera, and I'm very sad about it. Like, oh. My house is covered in trash bags. <laughs> well, but it's but it's on its way to being beautiful. <laughs> it's like it's cocooning. <laughs> <laughs> just just remember, folks, that there'll be a video of this later that I guess you can check yeah. out because oh, we did yeah. catch them on. We got them on video. I mean, this is. This is for your auditory pleasure, but, you know, sometimes things happen and we convince a man to show up on camera. So uh, check for that later in the bonus, con- your bonus content now. Does that make you feel more pretty? Yes. I like that. <laughs> How about you, Patty? How's life treating you, Patty? I honestly can't complain. Life is pretty good. Hanging out with my dogs. They're looking real snuggly right now. And I don't know. I'm feeling pretty comfortable myself as well. I wish I had something super interesting to say but um got a gig recently for another um yeah thank thank you thank you no 
good. Life is good. Now let's contaminate that with what's going on in the real world. So we all oh, know that uh, life life is an unending apocalypse of no escape for our generation. And, uh, you know, it gets dark fast. So, uh, you know, as dark as uh, DEFCON 2 fast. And so, uh, as you all know, at home, uh, it, it's a crazy world. Uh, where, well... Well, I guess we're in war. I don't know. I mean, it's it's the age-old equation of America sits in the background and goes, we're going to help you guys. We promise we're going to help you. And then we show up in the 11th hour, and then we kind of help you, but then we create a new enemy, and then we come back 20 years later, and then another desert storm happens, and then Gene Roddenberry writes about it and hides it inside the script for Star Trek, and we all just lose our minds, you know, growing up and dealing with it. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Are, we Are we in Star Trek? <laughs> well, you know what? No, actually... I have decided a long time ago that we're on trajectory for like RoboCop right now. We're we're the streets Yikes. of Detroit and RoboCop, you know? I mean, I mean, look at look at the police in America. I mean, it pretty much is OCP. So <laughs> get those robot dogs walking around, you see those? Yeah, they got robot dogs at the border. I mean, that's like <laughs> Can I can I robot like Robot dogs got to stand up. <laughs> 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 Okay, I don't even get the reference. I literally don't think I ever saw the movie RoboCop. <laughs> oh man, you know what? We just for that we're gonna we're gonna have to call you for like a throwback Thursday marathon one of these days when we have to come up with ridiculous okay. like fourth season shark jumping content to keep the machine happy and you know give the algorithm gods what they want old content yeah. reused. Yeah, <laughs> it, it keeps the world going. I mean, look back at. We'll we'll definitely talk about that more later, but uh, yeah. So uh, I mean, everybody out there is kind of getting their information wherever they may get. We understand that uh, Ukraine has been invaded by Russia from uh, multiple points, uh, and uh, America's kind of helping, kind of doing the best it can, kind of not doing enough. Seems how uh, you know lack of sanctions in the last. Uh, presidency and uh just lack of effort to be a decent human being to other people and so thanks to uh king cheeto uh current president and uh lackluster sport about everything joe biden has now uh kind of just had to take on the mantle uh interesting thing though is that uh it's it's enough of a pain in the ass in approaching this uh, world at war that even the biggest slacktivists in the world are chiming in so now uh anonymous is starting to hack russia which I think this, I mean, what what are you guys' feels on uh, hacktivism? Do, do you feel it does anything? Does uh, We'll start with EJ. He always has a good point of view. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's way beyond anonymous. I think anonymous is almost like a, a red herring of headlines, right? They're like a, a great cover for the fact that, I mean, I don't know what your political view is because apparently this has been a political view now, but I mean, the Russia has been hitting us with cyber weapons for years, right? Yes. Compromat. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it seems to me like the gloves are off from the American side now. Yeah. And to, to consider the fact that, you know, well, we're not at war with Russia yet. No, we're not at war with Russia yet. We've just literally sabotaged the entire base of their economy and are probably hitting them with more cyber weapons than, you and I could even dream of. Um, I don't know. Did you ever hear of Stuxnet uh, 10, 12 years ago? 
you know, right? So that was one of the first major cyber weapons that was ever deployed. It took out Iranian centrifuges 12 years ago, right? Can you imagine what they're doing to Russian industry now? What kind of bugs they can give a Russian factory and make it? I, I just, I can't even imagine what's happening right now. So yeah, it's, 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 it's wild out there in terms of hacktivism and, and, and all the exchanges that are happening. I, I can't even imagine how crazy it must be. We're not going to find out for a long time. I'm worried. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I, I mean, how long did they take to tell us like how they took down Osama bin Laden? And then once you find out, all it took was them pretending to be Walgreens and getting DNA samples from vaccines and finding out that wife number ten lived in the neighborhood and her cousin-in-law was terrible at taking out the groceries and covering his tracks. Bam, bam, Osama bin Laden gone. So. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's weird at the level of power that America has to get things done when it wants to, but then it leaves its country hanging in the wind. It's like, we can solve, like, shooting a laser from space through a window three feet wide while turning off a man's pacemaker from a hacked phone, but we can't fix the economy. Where Where, where is the sense in that? <laughs> so... I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot a little bit uh, on this this Ukraine talk and the the weird thing that's coming out of this right now because it's it's it has like a small basis in truth but then it's exploded into the crazy like craziness that like MAGA turds and like QAnoners and weird conspiratorial foes love to linger on um and and we're kind of facing it a lot in Hawaii I was surprised. That after being gone for 18 years, I thought we'd be taken over by some other stupid type of colonial thing. But then to show up and see people waving signs and going, vaccines cause impotence, run, they're out to kill us. And then and then they're like, Trump's a hero. And it's like, wait a minute, aren't you guys the same brown people as me? Don't, don't you feel threatened by half the shit that he says? Why are we buying this? And you know, and 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 we're continuing to buy this because now, um, as this has escalated, I'm starting to see a divide in in the social media feeds, the way the news is responding, uh, the way that the fringe is responding. I mean, we've got we've got Twitch casters screaming to high heaven as like little Alex Jones clones talking about like all the things that Trump is secretly doing with Putin in the shadows to save us from the deep state. So I mean, I'm I'm gonna turn to 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 Sarah and then we're going to go to Patty because as two people that may engage when the world calls upon them and puts up the bat signal, it's kind of like a, yeah, that's crazy. Keep it away from me. So, you know, but you don't know, but I know you have an opinion. So Sarah, like what, what is, what is your thoughts uh, on the, this? Mm, I, I can't think of nice words to say it anyways. What's going on with the morons back home? Why do we have kind of an issue with this, like, believing in in something that's beyond, like, crazy? Like, I mean, it's insane to think that we could talk about, like, special weapons forces and digital tactics and Russian espionage. But then to think that people would think that there's, like, it's it's a fake movie war going on out there. And that there's really just this secret battle going on between Putin and and Biden, and he's about to like liberate America. Um, I I don't really like talking about this, but I feel we have to recognize it to remind and sass people that they're being dumb and why they're dumb. But like, what what do you what have you been seeing from this in in the community around you, whether it's on the streets or on the gram? I I haven't really been looking. 
So I haven't really been seeing it too much. Um, but just from like what you've said, that just sounds absolutely bizarre that they would think that, that this is all just kind of for show and well, it's not an actual. I think what it, what it comes down to it is you got you've got this whole psychological belief system that like somebody's going to be a hero because you you've learned something that nobody else knows and so you know and they're they're rallying all these heroes. I mean you, the the freedom convoy the freedom convoy is like ending right now as it treks across mainland America and they're like yeah we stopped it we stopped the we stopped the mandates and it's like guys we we just decided last week to shut down all the mandates why why are you uh, you know what <laughs> bless your heart keep going. Just, you know, yeah, just keep funneling them dark money and keep going. Um, so, Patty, Patty, yeah. how much do you look at, uh, you know, the goings-on? I mean, slogan? I've got a couple of things to say about this, I guess. Um, the first one being, you know, you, I think you touched upon something in a previous podcast where you were saying, like, you know, why are the, <laughs> like, the brown people, like you're talking about, um, so into Trump and, like, how could they be kind of thing? And I think um, that it's just the different narrative that they're hearing about conservative values in general. So they're like, Oh, my values that I believe in my God that I believe in my, like, you know, taking care of people who, you know, like we, um, EJ and I just sort of touched upon this earlier today, but, um, you know, like taking care of people who, um, you know, who are kids who are being trafficked, all of these things you're like, yeah, I can get behind that. That matters. Right. So those are the people who are like, here's my hero. This is the guy. Maybe he's not polished. Maybe he doesn't talk eloquently, but he's the guy who actually cares about the things that I care about. And so he's on my team, even though at the same time he wants to get rid of people like me in other places. And he wants to, you know, like they just they're not putting two and two together. And they're just like, yeah, so what if he, you know, trips up here or there? His general overview, his general values are the same as mine, which is so unfortunate and, and inaccurate, but also in addition to all of that, there's also this whole truth thing, right? Like we, nobody knows what the truth is anymore because so many people are undermining what actually is fact and what is not fact. So people are just perpetually being given this feedback loop of whatever it is they believe and then more of it and more of it. And then as we know, the algorithm just feeds you, you know, things that are more in line with what, one, you already think, and two, whatever's going to make you respond and make more people respond and things like that. So very dramatic, um, over-the-top kind of stories. And like you're saying, everybody wants to be a hero. Look at, like, true crime podcasts. Everybody thinks, like, oh, we got to go out and be vigilantes and take care of all the, the evil in the world. And it's like, okay, but how many evil people do you know personally? Like, evil people. Like none, right? Like maybe five. So look around your, you know, your neighborhood or look over your shoulder and be like, oh, they're part of this like 50% of our population who's evil is just like kind of short-sighted. And it's I don't know. I think that's where policy, all you know? of that comes from. Yeah. But no, totally. I, I, you know, you, you hit quite a few good points there. I mean, it's, and I will have to say that like, it's as, as someone who grew up in a conservative household, who's constantly trying to go, is it, is it the party? Is it the people? Is it my feelings? You know, and then I, and then I dance to the independents and then I dance to the Democrats and then I always find myself back in the middle, but then calling myself a Republican. And I realize that there's just so much divide that there's like no space for it 
just sensibility anymore because we just like to get excited about shit and just like grab a bone and just dig into it and just be like, I don't care. Like, I got it now. I got it. And then I'm like, what do you got? I, I don't know what I got, but I believe in it. And, and then and they just run with it. EJ. I, I think you're just like most people. I think most people feel like they're in the middle and they hate the parties. I think if I asked every single individual American to say, is the Republican Party meeting your standard or is it below it? And then same question for the Democrat Party. Are they doing everything that you would expect the political party to do for you? Or are they below that standard? What, what do you think people would say if you pose that question to them? It, it should be Ooh. like that Oxycontin like pain test, you know, that like Purdue Pharma <laughs> would send out to the doctors and the doctor would be like, show us on the happy faces at what level that your pain is at. Like, at what level of pain are you at with the political yeah. parties in America? Right, but like yeah. everyone is in deep pain, right? Like no one's happy. <laughs> yeah. Like every well, they're worse, but everybody's bad. Yeah, yeah, and it's weird yeah. how how yeah. the bad is happening because you've got you've got a Republican Party like going extremely to the right, and then because the natural order of things causes that pendulum swip, the the Democrats slowly left doesn't mean left anymore, but it means left to them. And then now they're center. And then like both parties are all the way over here. And there's this whole gamut that's not being explored. And now we've got people like huge flip-flops going on. Like last week we were talking about Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, I didn't realize that there was a troll hiding under her skin, but it happened, you know? <laughs> and now she's on Twitter shouting racist epithets at uh, the, uh, the, 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 the yeah. uh, you know to Kamala Harris yeah she she calls Kamala Harris an equal opportunity employment hire like she she is going on the oh, wow. Robert green train to no end like she is just drinking the Kool-Aid I'm wondering how many flavors of Kool-Aid she's drinking because like she started spouting some tea party shit but then she went far far right and then she went on Twitter and she went so right that I was like I don't know if I like I could even like stand to see your tweets in my feed anymore. And I I'm open to seeing everybody's crap just to be aware. She's probably just following the money and you know, now that the Swift payments from Russia have been suspended, she's probably gonna change tax again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just have to tell you guys that EJ was like, I don't know if I want to talk like about politics before this. <laughs> These guys started in, Homeboy started in with uh, Democrats, Republicans in Ukraine immediately. So, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm game. Yeah. I can do battle. It's yeah. just, yeah. you know, it's, uh, and that's why I made the point that I made to try to find, I try to find common ground, right? And in my, in my experience, whenever I talk to people, the thing they say consistently is like, yeah, well, I vote for that party, but like, I don't like them. I hate them. Yep. Right. Imagine yeah. having a relation, yeah. that kind of relationship with your political representation. There's no wonder people are like, oh, what does Kanye West think? Right. Like, because <laughs> they, they don't. And that's not a dig at Kanye. Right. It's a dig at, you know. Oh, you can dig at what Kanye. The standard oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> this oh, this podcast the, 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 I don't, <laughs> another controversy that's rocking America, right? Like I, I, I don't want to take a side there. I've never been a Yeezy Yay Kanye, like whatever phase of the chrysalis he was in, I just I never took him like I've always seen him as as Bill Cosby without the rapes. Because Ooh, yeah, well, he's got oh, the Wyoming wow. Look at now, his so career. Look at his career. He, he, Plenty of time. He flopped into this model. It, look, take Bill Cosby's career at that moment where he went from militant, like uh, liberal, fighting for everyone, and then he flipped into this whole, I'm going to go find me a beard wife, 
and then I'm going to go put this on display and then I'm going to flip my whole message and then I'm going to change myself to match the message that they want because he knew that he wasn't going to make any money selling albums to African-American people in the 70s because how, where was that economy? The, the African-American dollar was not staying in the community. Like, you know, you'd, you'd earn a dollar and all of it would leave and it wouldn't go back in. We, we had already dealt with the destruction of many private economies in, in the African-American community at that time. So, like, his shift made sense. Kanye did the same thing. When you look at, like, that point when he was separating from everybody else in his sphere of music and then he drifted and then it became this like at one point i was like is he putting on like a kfab show is he like playing heel to play heel like did he just like call vince mcmahon up and go hey how do i pretend to be an asshole but for real you know and then like the wwe guys got together and helped him make a character and that's what it is oh my god that we figured it out that's the conspiracy is kanye well yay is actually just a kfab character for kanye maybe i don't know although that was kind of a disturbing fucking music video but then at the same time it's like at what point does like free speech exercise go against like just what's a do's and don'ts, you know? Do you tell that joke in church? Yeah. No. So then maybe you should leave it off the open internet and put it behind a not safe for work forum tag, you know? In that <laughs> Kanye West easy video? Yeah. I no. I haven't you seen have- it. I don't know what you're referencing. Um, uh, I will have to say to a degree, it was amazing work by the claymation artist because it looked I do like, it looked like I- it looked like a nineties like California Raisins music Ooh. video. <laughs> so, it looked cool. It was cool, but the lyrics were so disturbing. But it was I mean, but at what degree do you really like call that disturbing when like that's an entire genre that like hard gangster rap made a message but out of and to murder him. I mean, I guess where is the line between yeah, freedom of speech and just a downright right threat? Because to me, if I'd be like, this is a threat. This is somebody making a video killing a claim me. And then bear and then watering flowers to grow. That is that's not a threat. I mean, I think they put like that Tiger King guy into jail for doing that just that, right? <laughs> talking a bunch of trash saying he was gonna kill somebody and maybe he did, maybe he didn't, or maybe he hired someone, who knows? But yeah, it sounds like kind of the same. It's interesting that you guys are talking about this because I just watched the Cosby thing and I just watched, or I'm still in the process of watching the Kanye documentary. And um, uh, it's just weird. It's weird timing, but I have no idea what you guys are talking about as far as that video. I've not seen it, but I do think that there's something interesting about being a genius in any given artistic trade and how sometimes that ties in with being a complete psychopath in like total normal life. (laughs) No offense, DJ, because I know I do think you are a little bit of a genius in that way. (laughs) Emotional damage. Yeah, thanks, Fatty. (laughs) What you call talents, I call therapy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just a weird thing. I think there's like, you know, there's a God complex that always is going to come into play anytime somebody is ultra talented and they know it right and then yes of course having to sell themselves all the time there's the pressures of all of that there's just like there's so much in all of that that oh sorry i gave my dog back his ball and squeaking um there's so much in all of that so um i think 
it's not inevitable, but I think there's plenty of people who are going to go down that road of like, I now have all this power. I know I am brilliant. I can do no wrong. And so here I am, I'm going to go out and do whatever I feel like. And who's going to stop me? I know somebody just like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and also, if nothing else, it's creating more controversy, which is then feeding back into the whole publicity. And that's, I mean, and I think that that's the biggest part of it. At, At the end of the day, it's like, America has become addicted to the controversy machine, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, to the point to where like that. we're we've so overdosed on it to where you can't even microdose on it. So everybody's like in the corner, just like free basing controversy 24 seven. And the second you take it away, they're like, <laughs> no, you get you took away my right to complain. I need it. I need it. <laughs> I think that's kind of also some of what EJ is saying about, you know, you ask anybody if they're really content with any of their representation, you know, all that kind of stuff. And everybody's like, if I can't complain about it, then I can't speak at all, you know. Mm, we, we can call it right there. Uh, I think we've covered enough ground for this opener. I think we've opened enough minds, started enough conversations. Um for those of you at home playing the home game, uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Talk about some more fun stuff here with Patty Lee and EJ Wedge of Ocean Black right after this break. Moving forward. When you don't vote, what you're really doing is letting somebody else take power over your own life. You wouldn't give your grandmother the power to decide what clothes you wear to the club. You wouldn't give your crazy uncle the power to post a picture to your Instagram feed. So why would you give a stranger the power to make far more important decisions in your life? Voting is the only way to ensure that your concerns matter. Period. Moving forward. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for uh, tolerating uh, capitalism in action with those uh, last uh, messages. So um, let's let's uh, let's get away from uh, the sadness of the world and distract us from things that really make us mad. But we don't have to be mad about it because we're grown ass people. But we get mad anyways because we love being fans of silly things. And I will hope this will spark a great conversation forward. So um, the juiciest news segment I wanted to save. How do y'all feel, or did you know that this was about to happen? Disney Plus, Planet of the Apes. Mm. <laughs> that look on EJ's face. I'm going to meme the hell out of that face. That face you get when you can't push a fart. Or when Disney announces <laughs> Planet of the Apes. <laughs> blink, blink. <laughs> what? Are you still there? No, he, he ran away. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I have to give rich descriptors to everyone at home so they know what your face looks like until they look at the bonus content. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so Disney has announced they're going to go back again to the Planet of the Apes, and they've decided that it's worth revisiting a franchise that's never really impressed anybody, but everybody's just kind of like, you know... Giving it some weird respect because of Charlton Heston, I guess. I don't know. Never really liked the guy. Like, Ten Commandments. Woo, that's about it. Um, Okay, so let me start. Show of hands, anybody here a Planet of the Apes fan? No. 
Wow, not even like Mr. Forget, Future Dystopias forget. in a present sense. No, nope, I nope. mean, I, I'm certainly I've, I've seen it before. Sure, if you're gonna pick on me, yeah, I mean, I've seen those movies, but a little too on the nose for me. It's really? the same reason I don't watch horror movies with my wife, right? My wife loves horror movies. She loves photography. Like she, she's downstairs watching a horror movie right now, right? Planet of the Apes is a horror movie to me, right? Do, do, do people not remember the last ones? There's a global pandemic that kills a bunch of people. Yeah, just, yeah. Just on the nose for me. It was, okay. it was perfect. Yeah. Well, they it's have a horror movie. They have promised that they're going to go more back to the books as opposed to like you know the four movies that kind of just went to I you know and that was the weird thing about like the first four ones like the Charlton Heston ones I could throw them away. The one that interested me more was the last one, uh, like. The, the weirdest part about the fourth movie in the original installment was that it was two apes went back in time before everything goes haywire. And then in a very like Mr. Smith goes to Washington way, get stuck in court. And then like these blasphemers from the future. How do we know time travel is real? Yeah, but they're telling us this stuff, but we must help mankind or we will make friends. And then them like going through the whole trial made the world aware of like what could happen and how the planet of the apes can happen. But then like, you can't like, it's a paradox in a paradox. So you can't break the possibility of it happening. So now like it completes the loop and it was really, they were just a party to an event that was going to happen anyways, uh, in a nonlinear equation. It was weird. It was, yeah. It was, yeah. Well, <laughs> eh, but then that's the movie that I use as reference when everybody makes fun of the Tim Burton one, because I'm not a Tim Burton fan by any means. Uh, cause I quite frankly think he gets way too much credit for nightmare before Christmas, uh, than he should. I mean, yeah, he was the executive producer, but if there's anything that Alec Baldwin has taught us, executive producers don't do anything. So you can't sue them when you shoot someone on set. So <laughs> yeah, we go there, we go there on this show. We go everywhere that nowhere is untouched. Huh? I heard he is actually being sued. Is it, did I hear that? Yes, in a in now. a civil suit because the American yeah. court system doesn't care. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, the the Justice Department just got word that Trump could really be held liable for like half the shit he said on January sixth. But they're they're not gonna do anything. I mean, come on. I mean, we had Nick and fingers are crossed, though. Yeah, but I mean, look at what happened when when like the 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 economy collapsed. You know, a decade ago, like. I mean, who who served time? Uh, Bernie Madoff for two minutes. I mean, shit. We sent we sent Martha Stewart to jail longer than any of those assholes. So, do you really think justice will prevail? <laughs> this is why I'm all about the parties being below a minimum standard, and they should all be replaced. What with what? One of the other 173 parties to choose from? Well, I already i I get nervous about it a lot, and you'll hear this a lot because it's happening right now, right? People are trying to take over one party and they're a bunch of lunatics, but they're trying to do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the two parties just the, it, in my mind, right. What's what's the most important office that those two parties are electing for, right? All, everyone loses their shit every four years for what? Yeah. For what? When, when you should be worrying about your mayor, you should be worrying about your mayor. You should be worried about your city secretary. You should be worried about your comptroller, right. your, your county supervisor, uh, the, the guy who's in charge of your local school's uh, budget, like all that stuff. Like people think that like you could put all the hope into one guy sitting millions of miles away. I mean, the last president to be able to technically handshake tour the whole United States was FDR. And he was in a car that they drove onto baseball fields while he had the polio and was just waving, yeah. and that counted as a 
Yeah, and he still managed to touch 11 million people. But I mean, now we're, I mean, what, what, 324 million and growing plus over 38 million undocumented immigrants in America. So he's never going to get to them, you know? And amazingly, we managed to talk about a dystopian movie and we kept talking about reality. All right, moving along. <laughs> Obviously, we care so little about Disney making uh, Planet of the Apes that uh, we, we would rather distract ourselves with, with our terrible country and the conflicts it's in. But what I really wanted the conversation of Planet of the Apes to bring up is how do y'all feel as creators, as actors, EJ, as, as, as a creative force, especially because like, I'm reading more and more through your website, the lore of this universe, like all the work that you put into it, how many hats you're wearing in the production. Like from someone, yeah. Like for 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 a, a generation of artists that were told to just like create what your mind thinks is amazing and one day we'll give you the chance and now we're waiting for like you know there's probably gonna be like another Laurel and Hardy movie soon I mean shit they're gonna try to keep Fast and the Furious going I mean Vin Diesel finally found a, another Hawaiian he convinced Jason Momoa so like he doesn't yeah 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 he won't he won't he won't apologize about the weird gaslighting you did to the rock and then the rock's never going to forgive him. And then, you know, and then all the other weird shit that happened on set because like rock was part the of memes, that. Yeah. Oh the my memes God. memes of the two of them standing next to one another are amazing. I love them. Just like the rock and Vin Diesel <laughs> trying to like flex on one another when it's clearly the rock is amazing. Yeah, just, absolutely. <laughs> so he was like, you know, and, and no disrespect to Jason, uh, but it's just like he's like, well, it couldn't get one, so I'm gonna figure out what the price is for the for another. And he just brother just <laughs> went down the street and went, hey, uh, Kanaka, can I get you a job on this? Yeah, cool. Yeah, we can't get the other one. No, no, he he doesn't answer our calls. Oh, cool. See you Monday. And then just bam, Jason Momoa is like, I'm in the Fast and the Furious, and that makes me ask the question like, does that mean we're gonna get some Fast and Furious in Hawaii? Are they just all gonna shoot it on Kona and forget about us? You know. But that's okay. We'll cook up our own stuff. But no. So you know what? <laughs> let me let me turn to EJ first. You take the helm on this. What is what are your thoughts on the the friggin' IP tent pole that we've just been living under for like 30 years? Cause I'm not even mad sure. at like superhero movies anymore, because at least there's consistency no. to those. You know, I I l listen, right? Like, and I'm sure, you know, you guys. You know, uh, Sarah Kavika, you're both, I think, read in the entertainment industry, right? Like, it's this, you see it again and again, there's a group of people who come out and they'll be quoted in an article as like, ah, Marvel movies are destroying, you know, art as we know it, right? It's just being painted over with one giant blockbuster as far as the eye can see. Yeah. There's, there's no other genre. There's no other anything but the superhero who overcomes the villain is going to destroy the universe. And that's the only story we can tell ourselves for the rest of our lives. Um, <laughs> it, you know, and people, they're starting to stress people out. <laughs> if we told any yeah. other story, they might label it as critical race theory and take it off the screens. <laughs> right. They, everybody wants um, to be a hero right now. And that's the problem. I and mean, it is a, at, at what point is it did did art influence this or did society run with it or you know because i mean it, and superhero movies aside because i think the superhero movies get knocked way too much in this category because it's like you know what we waited 40 years for them to get superhero and comic book adaptations right and now they're finally on a stride and we're upset with it but then at the same time we look over yeah. to all the other genre work going on and that's more repetitive 
Because you know what? At, at the end of the day, some formulas may be the same, but at least when you go on an adventure with Ant-Man and a Wasp, you're getting some whole new jokes. You're getting some 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 new tropes to inject in into the 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 just the whole ethosphere of the fandom and the movies and the quotables and the notable moments. And then you're you're bringing characters to life and reshaping them from from something that's been around for for quite some time that people have founded opinions on. So I feel to a degree that's taking more of heat for that while you're seeing like the same type of slasher flick being made a hundred times. Like I, I, I've worked on enough Hallmark and Lifetime movies. I've worked on some almost Hallmark and Lifetime movies. So has Sarah. So has Patty. And uh, we can tell you, after a while, there's only so many yoga instructors that you could fall for and they kill you. So... <laughs> Wow. And there are only so <laughs> many young strapping gentlemen who are just getting over their PTSD, but it's not really their PTSD. It's the fact that their brother died from PTSD and now they've got his dog and they've got to take it across the country. And now they're going to find themselves and realize that they were really a softie all along. You know, so it's just like, I mean, they're playing the same five hits again and again. Yeah. I mean, shit. I mean, we're about to walk into dogs and hot dudes season. Okay, like you got like you got like Grant Gustin is about to do one. You know, the Flash, he's got this whole like Ruby, me and Ruby thing where he's like some state patrol officer that wants to be wants to have a dog, but the dog doesn't want to have him. And then you got this other guy. What what which uh, other? Yeah, who doesn't matter? Uh, hot guy number three in Hollywood is off doing some like my best. Are these friend. all Harmark? Are these all Harmark movies? Uh, no, that Hallmark? Grant Gustin one is Netflix, bro. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow. I even dropped the trailer on it just because I was like, wow, The Flash is doing something besides 90210. I guess I'll share this. Get those Netflix moms clicks. That's why I put it <laughs> Just for you, Netflix moms. Five stars. Like and subscribe. Anyways, so, uh, so yeah, before I, I take over again, EJ. Yes. This 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 menagerie of, of, of repetitive stuff coming from every which way. Like, how do you feel it's... It's tackled your drive. How, has it done anything to that? Has it ever made you feel like in your time as an artist leading up, like, well, I could write this or I could just throw it away because nobody's going to want to do it because I might as well write Pee Wee Herman 4. I think I struggle <laughs> watching, um, not this, the Marvel stuff, because that's like shooting fish in a barrel. And again, I want to emphasize, I love those movies and I've seen most of them. And I've, I've watched Avengers on repeat before and I love that stuff. Um, but yeah, when, when you feel like the thing that you're up against is so massive and you just contemplate Walt Disney and what that is and the enterprise that they represent and how, as Patty and I try to crack into a place where we can get visibility, you're up against a behemoth that literally exists to suck the oxygen out of the room so that the small people can't breathe. Mm -hmm. Um you know, if you take that tack, you're like, well, fuck it. It's all a waste of time. I'm going to smoke weed and play video games, right? Um, there's a great Anthony Bourdain quote, right? Uh, the, the contest of, you know, every day is to avoid being a person who just sits in my room and smokes weed all day. Um, you know, that was a comment that he made. And all he did was just to get out of his room and just go eat food in different places. And he literally turned that into a career of one of the most amazing careers. Um, so you got to just get out and do a thing uh, and be prepared to be led, <laughs> which people struggle with. And it sucks because, you know, you put yourself out there like uh, this conversation. 
<laughs> no, I, I, I get you on that. Like, I, I worked for the mouse for six years in the theme parks and entertainment division. Uh, I will say that there were parts of the job that I absolutely abhorred, and there were parts of the job that made me rip out what little hair I had left at the time. And but then at the same time, I turned around and I, I looked at the whole mess because they were I was just leaving them when they bought Star Wars. And wow. and yeah. so it was just it was the beginning of everything. And surprisingly, only like what was that like only 10 years ago, even less. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, a year is like, like an eternity. Yeah, it does. Oh, my God. Let's just stand or snap back to the beginning and fix it all. <laughs> that's what you would do <laughs> Kavika I've got the Thanos gauntlet I'm going to pick Star Wars <laughs> uh, no I wouldn't uh, no 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 see the problem is, no, is no. I'm okay I'm okay with the last three Star Wars movies that needed to happen that really did mm-hmm. and they I, I will have to say those guys took on something that nobody else could do I will have to say I haven't really talked about Boba Fett too much on the show a lot of my director friends are like it's crap and I'm like dude this is exactly what you were playing with your Hasbro action figures in your sandbox as a kid. How many kids imagine? Dude, the second that I played Jedi Outcast 2 and they had that cameo from fucking Boba Fett and everybody was like, is this canon now? He showed up in the video game. He must have survived the Sarlacc pit. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know? And then so then for the rest of my life until he came back when they announced the Rogue One stories the first time at D23 before they pulled the rug out and went, nah, it's not going to happen. But then they're like, yeah, it is going to happen. And so then the whole time they're like, Boba Fett movie, Boba Fett movie. And they're like, nah, nah, nah. And then, and then they're like, we'll give you a Boba Fett series. And then Filoni and Favreau and Rodriguez immediately go to where we all went as 12-year-old kids in that sandbox and went, he's going to rip himself out of the Sarlacc pit and he's going to take over the world. And yeah, it's kind of a Dances with Wolves meets GTA 4 storyline, but it works. <laughs> what (laughs) you laugh because it's true yeah obviously there's a desire for something like that because obviously i mean there's people out there writing fan fiction all the time about these kinds of things people aren't content to just leave a story and i feel both ways about that you know i feel like if something's a masterpiece let it be to a certain degree but i also think like you know i just well, I didn't finish watching it, but I just started watching the um, new West Side Story that they made, and I was super stoked about it. I'm just like, wow, there's a bunch of kids who've never seen West Side Story who now have or now will, you know, something like that, where it's just like, yeah, so so let it live. I don't care. They're not destroying something. They're creating something new, and, and sometimes what's new isn't as good as what happened in our imaginations or what would have happened if we just left it alone, but whatever they're doing it they're making something somebody like you were asking about like how do you how do you proceed in a world where like you know these conglomerates are able to make some the same bs like all the time i have a friend who um he like started a youtube a long time ago and and is always telling me like you need to start a youtube you need to start a youtube for me i never want to do that because i just think of it as like this you know, look at me, look at me, but what are we all doing all the time? I'm perpetually saying, look at me, um, because we have to do that to market ourselves in this day and age. It's like a crazy world. But, um, but I've also always been like, what am I going to say that's different? What am I going to do that's better? What am I going to do that's worthwhile? And what I've gotten from him is like, you know what, that doesn't actually matter because there are already people out there doing it. 
and those people don't have a better perspective than what you have, they're just doing it. They got off their ass and they're making something. And that's the difference. So Absolutely. I don't know. I think we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We shouldn't necessarily be recycling it all the time. But the fact that we're creating anything at all, that's like admirable. So. As a stats guy, I both agree and disagree with that. Okay. 55,000 movies are made every year in America. You only see 24 of them. Yeah, but some people see those other ones and they're like, that's the best movie I've ever seen in my life. Like my favorite movie, most people have never even seen it. Oh, and I don't even want to get into no, it. No, no, do it, do it, do it. Because we're talking oh, about you're gonna IPs. Hate it. You're gonna no, hate it. no, please. <sighs> I, I mean, come on. No, I. I I, I, I tend not to, like, overjudge anybody on the chosen movie. Un unless you're, like, saying that, like, you you liked, like, that, that movie. Oh, wait. That, that was a bad one. Tom Arnold, the, the Stupids. That was a terrible movie. Okay? As long as you don't say Tom Arnold, <laughs> the Stupids, I think I'll be okay. <laughs> okay, great. Because I've definitely never seen that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Nor will I now. It's okay. It was just um, straight to VHS. <laughs> They probably don't even have it on YouTube in anything better than 4.3 format with the vertical lines on it. <laughs> what is it? I want to know. Um, my favorite movie is Dancer in the Dark. It's um, it's um, I'm trying to think of what the director's name is, and all I'm of a sudden I'm going to look this up it. right now. I know. That's we, really bad. Down this um, Bjork though. is in it. Bjork? And, what? Um, this is a Bjork? Why have I not? What? I want to say Tim Robbins. No, not Tim Robbins. What's Guy's name. Uh, Gosh, I don't even remember half of the cast. Oh, names, it's a Lars von Trier movie. Thank gotcha. you. Yes. It's got Peter Stormare. That's how I know it. Because, yeah, you yeah. can be crazy. It's one anything. of those movies that like you kind of want to like curl up in a ball and cry afterwards for a long time. It's super, um, I called it bittersweet once, and people were like, what the hell is wrong with you? What is sweet about that? Um, but it's a really moving movie, and it's a, it's a story about, you know, uh, like a, a mother who's fighting for her son um, through, like, some really difficult challenges and who, like, holds true to herself even, even as people betray her and do awful things to her and, like, honors the commitment that she made to this guy who, like, completely destroys her. Um, it's really, really depressing, but it's also really cool. And um, Bjork sings a bunch in it and that's another reason why i think a lot of people <laughs> don't like it or maybe haven't seen it um but anyway i, I think it's a really good movie no it sounds like <laughs> a good movie i'll check it out i i'm sure there's probably a couple friends that like if i said i watched a movie they go like oh wow you finally watched it i got a, a a couple like dedicated Lars von trier fans i i think the last one i tried to watch did he did he do kalia or whatever that one no it was the other one I no I no that no, was that um Mm, no, no. So, Darren, Darren, Darren I, I, no. I like. I only have so no. much space for like crazy European art house films, because like sometimes yeah, like because really like depressing. Lars von Trier has a record of just like we're gonna do something sentimental and dark, and then we're gonna do snuff, you know. So it's like it's it's like a hit and miss. But like talented dude, crazy stories, interesting people. Like I love his casting choices. Like I think. Peter Snor Stormare is actually an underutilized person just because of his accent alone. So he kind of gets like stuck into this weird category of like always sounding drunk bad guy because they just, we're going to give you a word <laughs> salad that sounds like kind of badass coming out of anyone else, but is going to sound like a drunken badass coming out of you. So, uh, so then let's, let's get it down to Sarah. Sarah, 
like reboots, uh, all these overextended IPs. What? Oh, are, are you, do you love to hate it? Hate to love it? What? The same. You know, I feel like I get a little bit of a comfort when they do the reboots. It's like you kind of know the story already. So I, I'm actually a fan like the TV movies. Like, let's say they do, you know, like the Christmas movies they do in like Hallmark. They're all pretty much like the same stories and everything. But I still like watching them. They're those things that you can walk away, you can come back to, you can just already know the plot, even though you've only seen half of it. And there's just that level of comfort, I think, that I get with reboots. So I like them. I don't mind them. I'm all for them. Do you see, know Christmas movies? Do you ever know? Do you ever see that movie Christmas with the Cranks? Oh yeah, that to me is like I, a quintessential I, Christmas movie. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. What do you think I, of that movie? Well, I like it. It's hilarious. Yeah. My wife watches that like repeatedly during Christmas. I'm like, oh my god, here we go again. <laughs> it is a classic. I, you know, I feel Christmas movies don't get enough attention. Like we, like we get tons of like schmaltzy Hallmark Christmas movies, and then there was that new phase of like horror Christmas movies. Like Rare Exports was pretty. Oh, cool. she loves I, Krampus. Yeah, she a horror movie girl. Remember, like I'll be like, honey, we're gonna decorate the Christmas tree now. Can we put on Muppet Christmas Carol? Okay, but I'm watching Krampus right now. This, <laughs> and you can just hear screaming children. I'm like, I can't put Christmas lights on the tree like this. But I want to watch Michael Caine go on an emotional journey with Kermit the Frog. Yeah, exactly. I am. I'm for the Muppet. Yeah, oh, let's, let's Muppets do all more the way. Of that. If I could be rich enough to have a Muppet special like Lady Gaga did on Netflix for Christmas, <laughs> I would die a happy man. I want that. I want that and a chai latte with Oprah, and I could just die in my sleep. I, I would travel back in time to the age of 27 and overdose right then after living the future I wanted to live. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, my second favorite movie is The Labyrinth. So good choice, good Muppets. choice. Give me some Muppets all day long. So that begs the question of all of our our our, our likes and dislikes uh, uh, of this phenomenon. We come to the you know, if you had the power, if you had the will. I want you guys to dig into that place of like, what's the greatest IP that inspired you to either get into this business that nobody likes, nobody touches, or something that like somebody may have done like 30 years ago, but could obviously just like, eh, give it a second chance. I, I'm going to give the floor to EJ. EJ, and, and you're like writer to writer, tell me like, if you... Something weird, right? Like it can't be like a thing that was... The way you said that makes it seem like it can't be something mainstream. Well, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not saying it. It doesn't have to be mainstream. I'm just saying just don't pick from the list of already rebooted or the already revisited or the already spun off. Well, the thing that first motivated me to do science fiction writing um, when I was in middle school was reading Isaac Asimov, which now, of course, like my whole life, I was like, oh, the foundation books, like no one knows what the hell that is. Yeah, now yeah, freaking yeah. Apple TV has made like a whole TV series about the thing, which has just blown my mind it, it, to watch yeah. that show. I'm not, there's like things about it that I'm like, eh, I don't know if I like that, but it's cool to see someone, again, to Patty's point, getting out there and taking a crack at that because that is some crazy lore in those books. It, that was my original motivation was Isaac Asimov. No one knew who that was when I oh, was growing up. Really? Wow. Well, like, so what it was, so was it foundation that got you? Cause like, I yes. love, yeah, yes. I love yes. how thick, like that was thicker than Dune to me. Like, I mean, I, I thought like just it was the, different. Yeah, no, because like it had the epilogue qualities of, of a high fantasy, 
but then you can get into like this huge thick space politics like Gundam but then like you're gonna deal with like things beyond what you can fathom and the interpersonal relationships within that so like he was going deep places like it was true romance it wasn't sci-fi it was romance like a part of the original term of romance one of the probably the first story that I read that featured a heroine as the lead that just kind of like you know you're a you're a kid you're in middle school you're not cultured or well read and uh, certainly um, you operate in your lane right that was the first story I saw where a heroine uh, Arcady right is trying to find out where the second foundation is, but has to stop the mule from finding out and reading her mind. And at the last, for the, I'm going to spoil it. Should I spoil it for people? What happens in the book? Cause it's a really cool story. Patty's not. Yeah. A- yeah. You know, I think go yeah. ahead. We're just going to go spoilers kids because I, it fits into a, a, it's, it's a mythos that's been around for a long time. Yeah. yeah it's been out six, 60 years. Yeah, exactly. You've had enough time. This isn't like Spider-Man. No yeah, okay. way home. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So in the, in the book, right. Arcady is trying to find the second foundation so that she can save the foundation from the mule who is like this mutant that couldn't be predicted. He's able to control everyone's mind and make them love him. So she's trying to find the second foundation to save everyone. She goes with this doctor, long story short, at the moment that the doctor finally discovers, aha, I found the second foundation. She pulls out a gun and blows him away. And, and everyone's like, what? What did you just do? And she's like, the mule has been here with us the entire time. It's this fucking guy yeah, over here. It was some Agatha like, Christie level crap when that happened. Because then you're just like, what did I just, I have to go back. This is like Bioshock level. I have to play it twice now. Did I yeah. do this of my own volition or was I under control yeah. the whole time? That was a... F- that was the first time I read a story like in a sci-fi context, you know, because that was what I was interested in. And it was a heroine and there was nothing like, oh, she's a woman, right? It was just like she was a badass. She did the thing beginning, middle and end and went on to have like her own, you know, you know, get punked, right? You, mm-hmm. you can conquer the world, but you won't conquer me. It was cool. It's real cool. Again, for a 12-year-old. <laughs> I love Asimov. Uh, you know, I the funny part was is my parent, my, my dad was a, a Marine who only read uh, – robot manuals and how to fix amphibious units and fuel jet planes and my my mom was a trashy romance Danielle Steele like hardcore reader so there wasn't like a lot of like good choices in the house so like my first my first yeah, my my first gateway to Asimov was actually not the book I robot but it was this uh home VHS game that we found at a store and I was just like that looks cool I want that. And they're like, okay, that goes on your Christmas list. And so then my dad and I broke it out on Christmas. And there was this, it was essentially like iRobot the movie, but as like a home game where you'd have to like rewind, fast forward. And then you had like these little cards and it had like five different levels of difficulty to solve multiple misconstrued endings because of your bad detective work. So then essentially like you could fail, you could get it right. You could semi get it right. And that, yeah. And then because you of that, choose your own adventure on VHS. Really cool. Yes, that's what yes. I was thinking. It yes, like it was like a adventure. choose your own adventure slash group co-op card game, and it was maddening to learn yeah. at the age of six <laughs> with my dad. Oh, at the age of six. Yeah, yeah. because I just like yeah, let's let's try this, and he's like, dude, we should, can I just read you Mother Goose when we go to bed? I'm like, no, this seems interesting. I'm gonna figure out the rules. We gonna solve this mystery just like Scooby Doo. <laughs> <laughs> but enough about that. Sarah, Sarah, what have you, if you, like, as an actress or an aspiring writer, just 
artistic vision. Like if 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 you could touch any any IP, what what would you want to to bring back? It would be a league of their own. Do you guys remember a league of their own? Yep, I still got yeah, that I Madonna that song in my head to this day, man. Craziest yeah. end credit. That was that was her last verifiable point of glory was was that end credit song. I was like, oh shit, Madonna made me cry. That's the first time since the White Heat album. Uh, there was so much. <laughs> like they need to bring that it back. Was so good. Yes, they need to bring it back in with more historical accuracy. Mm. Yeah, mm. <laughs> they could probably. Do they that, they huh? could stand to they could stand to just cut out half the chocolate bar asshole scenes and put in more about the women. You know, a couple of extra Jimmy Dugan moments wouldn't wouldn't hurt. You know, I I will have to say that that was probably the first time I saw Tom Hanks be like an asshole in, in a movie since yeah. um since Volunteers as far as characters go. And and I was just like, wow, you know, I can, okay, he's a redeeming asshole. Man, he can do no wrong. <laughs> I thought that like long piss that he took was probably one of the most like <laughs> amazing moments <laughs> in any movie ever. <laughs> and that, oh, now man. I just want to know if that's all art department or was that really him? No. <laughs> uh. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so so League of Their Own for Sarah. All right, Patty, what you got? Um, hmm. Okay, so it was made a couple years ago. Oh, gosh. Actually, it's probably been a lot longer than that because whatever, I lose track of time real easily. But um, A Wrinkle in Time, that whole series, A Wrinkle in Time, A Wind in the Door. They biffed that new movie enough to where you could go back, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that movie was so bad. Oh, my gosh. And, I mean, definitely geared towards really young children. So um, they had a different perspective than the perspective I expected it to That's come from. That's what you get with a Walden Media production. And it's it's a child story, yeah. you know. But, like, when I read it as a child, it seemed really advanced and, like, thoughtful and really, like, clever in ways that they didn't include in the actual movie. So I was super disappointed. But um, for a lot of the same reasons, actually, as EJ, that she was just, like, a young girl, just, like, living her life, like, trying to find out what's going on with her dad. And she's just going on these, like, wild and crazy adventures and just using her brain and her power, you know, like, to figure things out. I don't know. I just love that sort of like mystery sci-fi fantasy all rolled into one kind of thing um but yeah and and a lot of it honestly hasn't stuck with me i should reread the books but i think it would be worth a revisit for sure legit good choice yeah no i get you on that whole like level of type of story it was for being a kid that age reading that story because it's like you could read like time warp trio and that's like a fun like romp but then you get to wrinkle in time and it's like wow this is some doctor who level shit going making you think yeah 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 like there's like science happening here (laughs) (laughs) science (laughs) yeah well in that one moment i it's so bizarre because when i read this in the book i just completely visualized it almost like it was um edward scissorhands or um that other Oh yeah, you're not a fan of what's his name. Um, but that other movie, Big Fish, 
um, there's that moment where they like come to this like open or this little town and nothing changes there. I don't know if you guys know what. Yeah, I'm I, I about, know what you're talking about. I saw Big Fish when it came out. Yeah, it's like really perfect, you know. And it reminded me also of Edward Scissorhands, how they have like all these you know manicured lawns or whatever. But that there's a moment in the book where all the kids they like or the moms like come outside at the same time of day and the kids are like bouncing the balls in sync with each other and then like. All, all those things. And I reading it just completely envisioned it in my mind, like so perfectly. And that's kind of this really unusual thing that happens when you're reading and you're like creating a vision within your mind. And then of course movies happen and you're like, Oh, that's not right. You didn't do it the way I would have done it. It's I feel better. you on that. No, I absolutely feel you on that. And I, th I also feel that that's the reason why, like there's quite a few IPs that like people will just be like, Nope, we can't, we can't, yeah. there's just Nope. Like, uh, you know, like I have a, personally, I have a pile that I would go through, but like really what sits at the top of my tongue, because like, I've wanted to like say it on air for a while. So that way, like if it gets into the algorithm somewhere, even if like it happens without me, it'd be like, ha, it happened. Um, and, and, and even then there's, there's a second one that I would have to bring up with it just because they're both Disney properties. Uh, like that was like the always guaranteed thing in our house was a Disney VHS. Like I collected the lithographs when movies came out, like Winnie the Pooh was my homeboy. Um, but, um, interestingly enough, as far as like, how do you write like the skirt, the line between like fantasy and reality and tell a good story. The one that is oddly stuck out for me in my life was sister act. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not the biggest Whoopi Goldberg fan. I'm not the biggest Whoopi Goldberg fan. I'm an atheist. I think maybe it's the fact that, like, it shows the parts of Catholicism that I wish were kind of cooler, but then it nags on all the things about, like, Catholic nuns that you're just like, yep, that's, yep, that's totally it. So, yep, I mean, it was kind of like watching, like, a meta-industry movie for, like, uh, burned Catholics, but then at the same time, it was like it was it was, and especially with Back in the Habit, because like how do you how do you manage to create a sequel to something that shouldn't actually sequel, but then you create a reasoning behind it, draw everything back in, and then you introduce a whole like in the careers that it made. Like when you look at that that second movie, I mean, it's like wow, that's like the, yeah, Lauren Hill, that whole that's the birth of the Fugees like. right there. Like, it is, like, one of the sickest soundtracks of all time, and half of it's acapella, and you're listening to these artists being born on screen. And so, like, I feel yeah. that that's where, like, where I look at it as as a producer just as much as a writer. Like, I think it's it would have the potentiality as, like, a Disney Plus series to just, like, go to a place where the, the movies couldn't go. You could pull off of those high school musical vibes that everybody's had, mm -hmm. and, you know... And then you could really, like, get into, like, the music stars of today, introduce them in other ways. I, I don't even personally think you got to bring Whoopi Goldberg back, or you could in an Easter egg and make her, like, make her actually make her a nun instead of making her Sister Mary Clarence or something. I don't know. Or maybe you bring Sister Mary Clarence out one more time, because I'm sure if she says something wrong on The View, she'll have a lot of free time again. So... <laughs> 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 but but no, but I really think that like if Disney, if you're out there listening or you were listening 20 years ago when you started your time machine of, of IPs, uh, yeah, yeah, Sister Act, the TV show, I totally get behind that because I know sure as hell like they're not they're not gonna do half the things I could ever want because like if I had really had my way, I would make an Apple Dumpling Gang movie. Yeah, I just ah, yeah, I, I just a yeah, that's right. You all just went blank face. Any of you guys know Don Knotts? The Incredible Mr. Limpet, 
you know, freaking uh, Andy Griffith's show. Okay. You know, Don Knotts, yeah. you know, hey, Andy, what you doing all there? You know, that guy. Yeah. Or how most of this generation knows Don Knotts now is just that that dumb cutaway in uh, in Family Guy where he's like, oh, are all these ostriches doing here? You know? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, um, <laughs> that was a pretty good impression. <laughs> I try. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> um, but what was interesting about that IP was it was a really good story, and then the studio was just like, this is a filler, so we're not even going to like respect the IP. We're just going to make this work because like we got Tim Conway, we got Don Knotts, two of the greatest guys in comedy at the time. Let's like make this a vessel and hope that it could do something for the live-action franchises of Disney at the time, because the best thing that they had going for them was Johnny Tremaine. I mean, again, I'm like crickets out here in the audience with you guys. You're like, what's that? Yeah. There's like a whole 40-year history of live-action Disney movies nobody ever cares to notice. And half of them, if you check them out on Disney+, Plus, they come with content warnings about, uh, you know, backwards things they used to say back then. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, you want, you want a really, you want a really uh, crazy movie that, like, should just, shouldn't have even been put on Disney+, Plus, but they put the disclaimer on, Cast Away Cowboy. Castaway Cowboy is about a uh, a Howley family that moves from the mainland to start a farm in Hawaii, and then her husband dies, and now she's got to fight them angry natives off her lawn. Yeah, but then they but then they make friends with a a little Aboriginal wow. boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because wow. I mean, it was it was. It was the '60s. We were still seen as loincloth little freaks back then. I mean, we 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 had just gotten oh. done with a monarchy that had gotten overthrown, and we were a part of a country. We had cars, we had hats. People wore shoes, but Disney didn't care, you know, because that's what sold tickets. Was like, oh, watch these white people go into the wilderness in the Pacific. Will they come wow. out? Golly, who knows, you know. <laughs> but like, that's an IP that should just never come back. Um. Wait, I have another one. Yeah? Totally one more? Random. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do you guys remember the movie Adventures in Babysitting? Yeah, they recently reduxed that for Netflix again. They did? Yeah, did you miss that? Yeah. They even, no, and then the best part was is they brought back Elizabeth Shue and she played the mom this time. I no will have to say, I watched perfect. it when it came out. Oh, I made no, my son it. watch it, and then I made him go back and watch the OG one because I will have to say that that's, that really is like, it was for being a Netflix reboot and like fan servicing. Like it was okay. It it's it does not have the same power as seeing Vincent D'Onofrio as some uh, grease mechanic <laughs> Thor, but it does kind of go to that place. But I will have to say that like that that was a great movie. Like, but that was also that was in a, a time movie. like. But when you look at all the movies that came out in that period, we were you know facing things as a country, opening up conversations. So you had writers and producers that had this like core control of Hollywood, you know, and they were just mm. like, yeah, we'll, we'll make one of these, you know, we'll make a couple home alones and then we'll make an adventures and babysitting. And then, then we'll just get freaky, you know? So like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I wasn't disappointed with it, but there was a part of me at the end that I was just like, I'm kind of unfulfilled. So you have my vote for another adventures and babysitting. Mm. Like just okay. no, no series right. though, just a no, just a one shot movie. Oh no, yeah, just one movie. Just yeah. one movie. Open and closed. Open yeah. and closed. And with that, we gonna close it on this section because I think we had enough silly fun. And we're gonna be back after a short message, and we're gonna talk about the amazing world of Ocean Black with our guest 
EJ Wedge, and Petty Lee. Moving forward. It doesn't matter what you were wearing, what you were drinking, or what you agreed to in the past. Sexual assault is never your fault. Support is available 24-7 through the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Call 1-800-656-HOPE or visit RAIN.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. Remember, it's not your fault. Moving forward. Welcome back, everybody. We're uh, we're almost at the end of this uh, this crazy adventure to many places today. We've gone everywhere but here, and now here we are with EJ Wedge and Patty Lee of Ocean Black. Guys, I'm I'm excited about this. So I'm I'm, I'm going to start by giving you guys a little snippet of what this is about. And if you want to know more, we're going to tell you more. They're going to tell me more. We're going to we're going to we're going to find this out together and then we're going to tell you about where you can follow them and how you can uh, learn more about this amazing story. In the 22nd century, a nuclear war occurs that wiped out the ruling global empire of Earth. The wealthy elites anticipate the coming cataclysm and flee into the deep chasm of space between the stars that in this new age is called Ocean Black. Now, as far as log lines go, that's a good way to start, man. That's just enough to go. Okay, cool. I, you know what? Before before I even get into the hard questions, I'm gonna tell you right now. You know what my vibes were off of you when I was like reading into this and looking into this. Like, I felt some of the like darker era of like Hanna Barbera, like '90s cartoons. Were you ever into those? Please tell. No. What? No. Uh, I, I I it wasn't like something I watched regularly. I did see them, but I. They it just wasn't part of my daily habit, but they were on when I was very young, and I remember seeing them. So I mean, when people look at the animation and they see some of like the the story choices and style, they're like, "Yeah, this has got some like some Avatar, Airbender, Nickelodeon, American anime vibes." But then I mean, they went like, "Yeah, you could have a little bit of that," but then it felt like a little bit more serious because like I'm feeling that this this has the playroom to like the you know tween crowd but this is really like the milder young adult slash adult type of crowd right yes nods mean yes so i was feeling like some some pirates of dark water vibes in there too i don't know if you ever saw that show but that was uh it was it was amazing um uh we're gonna skip aside from that but this ocean black ej wedge creator mastermind wearing a lot of hats please take us on the journey yeah, I mean, the the place where I started with this was because of um, Battlestar Galactic. I actually was seeing that when I was, believe it or not, when I was in my 20s. It was, in, it was on when I was younger, but like I didn't see it until it was almost 10 years later. And that's what made me start thinking about like having a TV show that was framed, had a sci-fi reference, but you could still, you know, pull contemporary language in, right? Everyone speaks American English in Star Galactica, more or less, right? Like, there's lots of assumptions about the culture and the what's going on that you can borrow from. And seeing how that they were willing to pull different things in for the purpose of telling the story they wanted to tell, which is that, you know, 
human life is generational. It's cyclical. It's more about then you're in this group, you're in this tribe, you're in that tribe, right? Like the message that they had to deliver was really important to the show. And they were willing to, you know, be flexible with <laughs> what cultural markers represented all the 12 signs in the Zodiac, but everyone speaks English. Um, it's, it's just, you know, anyway, right. Again, it was on American television. It was on sci-fi for what it was at the time. Fantastic. Like unbelievable show. Uh, I get chills right now. Like I'm going to like get weepy and get chills thinking about Starbucks vanishing at the end there. <laughs> I get really upset. Um, it was, it was just incredibly well done. So like from a television inspiration, I start with that. And that's how I kind of wind up, with the, you know, with these ideas of nuclear war and things like that. Um, I think the thing that's fascinating, though, that we're seeing people identify very much, you want know, to talk about getting chills. Uh, it, it was in the headlines in the last couple of months. Um, Jeff Bezos and other these guys talking about how they're going to build their spaceship and go and build their space colony. Yeah, I know. I've I've been writing about a universe and a world where all the rich people leave for you know a, ten years or more now, right? And, and and I'm not you know I'm not like some prophet here, right? Other people, this is a road that's you know somewhat traveled. I'm just saying something that I think is pretty obvious, uh, and it's becoming just increasingly obvious, right? Love you know some of the things that Elon Musk is doing for the infrastructure, but surely we have the right to question these people's long-term intent right mm -hmm. um are we setting up a free society or are we setting up more feudalism so what ocean black posits is initially if we don't plan it and in ocean black it doesn't go according to plan you wind up with feudalism um and there's this big thing of the kingdoms and everything and temeo's story her origin story is all about how she gets dislocated from where she is in order to be taken off and to be some queen in some feudal society on another planet because you know that's what's convenient for them right now um assuming that she's an empty vessel and like they just well yeah sure well she's she's a woman she'll just do whatever it's like a child right and what instead they wind up with is a human being with her own thoughts and desires and plans, and it just completely obliterates everything they were going to do. And, and that's what the show is about, ultimately, right? Um, this post-apocalyptic society, this character specifically, and her impact on that society and the societies that are kind of tied into that larger universe. And we start small and try to get bigger and bigger so that we don't overwhelm people. That's our hope, at least. Based on how I just explained it to you in the last minute, I, we're about to find out how effective that is. Yeah, no, I, I dig it. I get what you're throwing down. I think the kids at home will too. So, um, so from that story, I mean, so I mean, I mean, I I think I kind of touched on it a little earlier when we were talking about like you know where where's your age appeal range or the type of people that you're going at with this story. Like, I mean, if you're if you're telling a story about you know apathy that generates feudalism and a fall of a society and the haves and have nots and space Casablanca, if you will. And, uh, Blanca, I love that movie. Yeah, dude, absolutely. <laughs> just don't watch the recolor kids. Just don't watch the recolor. No, no. <laughs> yeah, but it's another movie that makes me cry at the end. Yeah. So who is this show made for? Like, is there, is there an intent behind the message to captivate a certain crowd to start a conversation? Is there an intent to just make certain people happy with the eye candy that this is? I mean, where, where's your intersectionality for everyone out there listening? I think in terms of audience, I think it's, 
um, young adult and up. Although one of the things I've been surprised by is even just kind of showing some of the very short clips um, to friends and family, right? You know, and their friends and family um, is even you know young young kids are like, oh yeah, Temeo, like give me more. She's riding on the horse. Yes. Yeah. Oh, she's the, right. And it's like, it, I'm sorry. I just, I'm not, I'm for both of them. The things they're, they're not, they're not really either. Um, one of the things that struck me again and again about those conversations, and you know, I know this is a little meta, but I know you guys are industry people, um, is the way people are consuming media, especially since the pandemic has, is undergone a radical change, just like how their work lives have changed radically. And one of the things that's happening is the consumption of, content that was maybe in different lanes, even though streaming was available, it was still kind of like, you know, it was your nine o'clock and your 11 o'clock hours over here and your seven o'clock, right? And the content was almost like, you could look at it like a rainbow, um, not, to, it would change as the day changed on. But now people's work home life schedules, tens and millions, a hundred million people, it's changed. Yeah. Um, and be, as schedules have changed, literal media consumption has changed. So you're winding up with people who are like, yeah, I'll watch this pretty hardcore anime show with my eight-year-old. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I get you on that. A lot of that happens. It's it's really weird that you say that because the weirdest, I'm a stats guy when it comes to marketing and understanding the psychology of why people make decisions. And so the most interesting thing that I found out over the pandemic was how people's consumption hours flipped in that rainbow so like taking that analog rainbow and then what happens in a world of streaming always available and it turns mm -hmm. out that most of america spent the last two years uh watching porn at 2 p.m in the afternoon Fantastic. like they, they would watch friends in the morning they would watch netflix and and youtube in the morning but then like lunchtime and then porn and then they go back to reality and it's like how did that you know, happen? i remember this I remember this from the movie uh, Anchorman, Afternoon Delight. They even have a song about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, that's, but that's like some solo afternoon. How delightful yeah, is that by Please. All by myself. Uh, I'm leaning into this, but wow. <laughs> hey, you know, it's better than where those statistics were on, on uh, such consumption before pandemic. So I think in the end, sure. uh, you know, America's porn consumption is the least of my worries as a conservative. There are a lot worse things going on. Hey, if you want to diddle your piddle, whatever. Just don't bring it around me. Okay, keep your Louis, keep, keep your Louis C.K. stuff to yourself. Don't worry. With the magic of editing, all the promo spots about you will be cut out for our Instagram reels, and people will only know the madness if they listen to the show. So all six of you out there that are listening regularly, because we only have four episodes, thank you. But anyways, back to reality. So what made you think about doing this as an animated show versus doing this as a live action? Or Seeing Avatar definitely actually is what got me off the proverbially and literally get, get off the couch and do it. I, you know, I just, I can't remember, I can't tell you what I was watching at the time. I was watching other kids' shows when I was a kid when Avatar was on. Um, so I didn't see it when it was on. But, you know, like a lot of people, it got popular. It was trending on Reddit and stuff. And you saw it over and over and over again over a year. You're like, yeah, whatever. It's on Netflix. Why not? I'll watch it. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So um, I have the, Novels that I've written, I say to myself, I've been struggling to show people what I want to show them for so long. 
This medium feels accessible to me. And talking to people and dealing with people feels far less intimidating when you've been in the corporate world for 10 years and you realize everyone just fucking makes it up as they go along. No one has any fucking idea what they're doing. They go from like day to day and moment to moment like they're like they're rats with no long-term memory whatsoever. So I figured, well, if I at least try, I, I can't be doing worse than a lot of the people, even if the majority of people, God willing. So, and here I am. That's that's Talking a really about. good public service announcement to give people yeah. hope about making your own shit because you know what? Remember, it's kids, when, when you're on set or when you're at work or even if you're just mopping the floor, look to your left, look to your right. There are people that are in charge. Are they any better than you? I don't think so because we all, we all hide behind the, the church and smoke in the same spot and hide from our aunties. We all make the same <laughs> stupid decisions when the boss ain't looking and half of us didn't pay attention in class. I mean, look at... Look at an entire generation of boomers that didn't know what they were doing and still don't. Yeah. So uh, I could say that, like, you know, per the American condition, nobody really worries about do you have it? And then we, we've generated the fake it till you make it society. But then I think that in turn, it causes imposter syndrome on talented people such as yourselves because then you go, should I? Am I even capable? And in actuality, you just have a higher standard for yourself than people have for the rest of society. So like, it, okay. so outside of that avatar, like, or get off the pot moment, like what, did you have any other big drives that, that put you there? Like, was there something that just rung out in your life or other things well, you were I, watching? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a great question. The, the specifically avatar to specifically go with that kind of, you commented earlier, the animation style. Right. And I kind of sought someone else who could help me with that. Um, and of course, you know, who can, uh, so, but that piece of it aside, right to your question, um, I think the other piece of it was just so much of what I was writing kept being relevant. And at the same time, I realized, and I'm not like patting myself on the back in that sense, right? Like I wasn't saying something unique. I just, I was saying something that I, I really wanted to, I don't know, you know, it's like what I mean, you just, you want to yell at other people about it kind of like hey do you know this is mm -hmm. happening in your world right the, the first book that I had written that got me on this on, on this path was a book that I published in I don't know uh yeah it was February 2020 I wrapped up the manuscript right in that book the chief of state who's the commander-in-chief tries to use the legislature to start a civil war I, I read that with my wife and then a year later we were talking about the exact same thing. I, I, I just like, okay, so I, this is something I really want to talk to people about because it's relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's so easy. The, the, the most, the story I'm so keyed in on, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but I promise I'm going to tie it back and make it relevant right now. The, the, the story that I keep keying in on that civil war kind of thing that I'm talking about I'm so interested in the individual characters involved, which is why I'm so fascinated by certain individual politicians in America. And it's so also fascinating that this comment that I'm about to make applies to a certain Russian politician as well. This constant ego where people attain that status as a head of state or a head of government, and they can no longer distinguish between them in themselves and the state, right? What my personal emotion is, is literally America, right? And being unable to separate those two things. 
my grievance with Ukraine is Russia's grievance, right? And so everything is immediately personal. And every single thing that can possibly go, go wrong, therefore, is a personal attack. Um, again, to throw it at Patty, right? The, the reason why she is playing this character is because the story we want to attempt to tell is somebody who's pulled into that forcibly, right? And told to play a part. Um, and the idea is that can you break that mold without completely being a villain? Um, uh, I, I think it's a, it's the answer is, you know, kind of maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I no, I feel you on that. That's a, that's a question that goes through a lot of our minds, especially in our generation. I mean, that's a that's a fight that I had with myself a lot of times. That's why I left Disney the first time. That's why I went to go work for the state government. And then I realized, nope, I want to go be a dreamer and go back to, you know, living in a fantasy world and making fantasy worlds and then maybe using those fantasy worlds to tell the stories. But then you – no, it's – there's – man, it's just a, it's the great American ennui. <laughs> it it yeah. depends on your point of view is my yeah. point that yeah. – um, these people who are making these decisions at this level with life or death in their hands, it, it's been exp it's been meditated on a lot. But it's interesting to me specifically when people have the choice between, well, I can do something selfless and avoid throwing my nation into a war, or I can start shooting. And invariably, they rather than hold themselves accountable, they will literally kill people literally kill people rather than hold themselves accountable. Um, and it just happens again and again and again and again. Shakespeare has great, uh, you know, we could talk. Anyway, I, I'm sorry. I'm no, not trying to No, do ramble. not. No, like, no, 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 no. This is what we're here for, brother. The, mm -hmm. the ramblings of a madman turned into art right now. That's, that's. I <laughs> I have to say, I'm feeling you. That's that, that's that headspace that I go into when I, you know, when I start writing stories, like I got, I got sucked into dystopia early as a kid. So, like, I feel you on, like, the, you know, I I, th I think we tend to get looked at as dystopian writers as, like, wow, you must really have, like, a grievance with humanity or, like, you must hate mm -hmm. it or something. And it's like, no, we no. we love it. We love it so oh, much. Yeah. No. And that, and so it's not that we're we're putting this message in front of you to go, this is the scary future. The, look into the to my cloak, son, and see Christmas future. We're like, no, 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 no. This is just kind of like a, this is how it could be. This is how it might be. Your future is here now. The dystopia is now. Oh, yes. I can't remember. Don't make me remember. And I feel badly. I don't know her name off the top of my head. The woman who recently wrote a fantastic science fiction novel about, you know, uh, a scenario where, well, what if women had the ability to basically shoot lightning out of their fingers, right? If the story is, you know, they hit puberty and now they can basically electrocute people to death. And so it becomes instantly a dystopia because women with this power now start torturing men. And the I can't remember her name again, and I'm so sorry, I should really Google this, uh, posits, well, it's a dystopia because this is happening to men, right? Well, yes, of course. Okay, well, this is happening to women today. Yeah. So therefore, we live in a dystopia now. That's now, right? You all live, right? One of the great elements of hubris, and maybe being in Hawaii, you can appreciate this more. One of the great acts of hubris about how we tell a story ourselves about World War II, right? Off the top of your head, answer this question. What was the first country we nuked? Japan. Wrong. Oh, shit. That's right. You're goddamn right it's right. Yeah. Right? We nuked ourselves before right. we ever no, nuked No, yeah, Japan. no, no. Yeah, no, that's right. No, yeah, we, we nuked ourselves. 
I mean, so the, we, we nuked we, ourselves we were, we were before the, we ever nuked Japan. Yeah, that's right. And then we did another thousand times. Yeah. Right? Another and thousand no, and, times. In that yeah, preaching in the choir on the other thousand times. I was like, yeah, yeah no, I mean, all the shelling on Koholave. I mean, how much of yeah. that affected our, our reef system, our ecosystem, yeah. people being born? Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks about like all that. They're like, oh, yeah. all that nuclear winter is just out in the Pacific. It'll be nuclear summer. They'll be okay. You know, it's just yeah. It, weird. Yeah, no, I, you know, what, but. You know, when you presented that question, I was just like, yeah, where was our active aggression? I didn't think about the where was the active aggression against ourselves because it's like, yeah, fat man and little boy. Like you have that moment out there in the in the freaking desert and everybody's just like, yep, we're all going to sit outside, watch it like we're launching a shuttle and just put on our sunglasses. We know not what we're doing. We have become God. The reason why I hype it so much is because this idea that people didn't really understand you read the history of it, right? You read about how Truman yeah. would, would say afterwards, I really didn't understand what I was agreeing to. Well, shit, somebody did because they were all there in Nevada. Yeah. They, they had the video and the like, pictures. How they, did you not know? They saw so, the square mile radius of which the destruction would be. So you think if you uh, drop something on a populated town, say Nagasaki or Hiroshima, something's going to, you know, which, but I mean, they were also making a lot of batshit crazy decisions at that time during the war. I mean, heck, oh, sure. b- before they could even like finish the atom bomb, they were like, what's all the other crazy ideas we could have on the ready? I mean, they were making homing missiles with actual pigeons pecking like ancient versions of tablets as a homing screen they were they were going to send bats with with freaking canisters of of uh freaking a bat army yeah no real thing check it out okay they had this facility out in the desert just just out further east from nuclear from atomic city there was a whole nother compound of like what's other crazy stuff america could come up with and they were literally figuring out how to drop bats with napalm cups onto Japan because they thought that if the bats would go in, they'd roost up into the houses because of the structural style of Japanese architecture. And then when the bats go to sleep, the bats would catch fire and the whole house would be napalmed. So like, I, I think I think that whole perspective of we, we did not know what hath we wrought. And it's like, your choices were death by yeah. fire bats or <laughs> giant flaming hell raining down from the sky and watching children melt into glass. So, so no, oh, I, I feel you on dystopia there, bro. Like, I feel that's that's a thing that living in it and recognizing it, being a part of it, and, like, the fact that you want to hit that nerve with this story, that that's a good intent because there's enough of it that we're exposed to all the time. You know, we know not what we what we sow because we're, we're doing it like America's conditioned itself society in general. Most of first world societies kind of conditioned itself into just like blinders on. This is what I do. You know, like, yeah, I, I can pivot to the opt. I can pivot to the optimism though, because I know it's like, like you said, you're an optimist. I, I think so am I. Um, it, the reason why you do this stuff, right. In my opinion. And I think, Ironically, this is probably one of the many places that atheism should reconcile with religion because I think they both have this concept of positivism if you can get past all the bullshit. Um, In a scenario where, as in Ocean Black, the bad thing goes down and humanity loses, killing everyone is hard and people (laughs) bounce back. 
always. You just can't underestimate it. And the nature of the universe bends towards good. And so as a result of that, even when shit is basically off the wall in Ukraine, the absolute worst possible thing that could possibly happening is happening. And yet good things happen, right? And there's crazy people out there who will argue that, well, the bad people have to do the bad things in order for the good things to happen. That's not how logic works. Good things happen because people are good. The bad things get in the way. You don't need them to manufacture good things. That's that's not how logic works. That's not how... Um, that's colonial good... logic, though. It's the idea sure, of if we I, put I, something under yeah. pressure for so we're long... It, be... Yeah. We're, we're keeping it positive. No, though, yeah, right? yeah. So, that's the philosophical thing I'm trying to impart, right? Like, is even a hundred years later, after a nuclear disaster, a character like Temeo ought to want to get revenge on everybody. Instead, she does something very different, right? And in so doing, kind of proves the point that I'm making, right? Absolutely. Um, positivism, that it's not, it's it's never over, right? Um, there's always something good happening because the nature of the universe bends towards good. It doesn't bend towards permanent catastrophe so speaking of the positivity behind this how did, how did patty join the series yeah so um i went to a performing arts school when i was a kid and um this woman lorna who owns the school and taught me ever since i was really young um she just happened to post an audition for it on like her instagram or something and I just reached out and was like, hey, listen, um, any chance that I could maybe audition for this? It seems really cool. Um, I fit sort of all the criteria, except that I didn't live anywhere near where they were actually auditioning people um, in like Southeastern Mass. Um, and so she reached out to EJ. EJ was like, yeah, let's check this out. I'll give her a shot and did it. And I don't know. The rest was history, I feel like. But also really kind of, um, I want to say, like, kismet almost, um, just because EJ was like, okay, this is weird. You know, he um, and his wife were, Tina, who were both um, like, wow, this is kind of the person that we picture. This is like, she looks like Temeo. She like talks like her. She just, you know, she's hitting um, who we had envisioned in our minds. So um, it's sort of felt like it was meant to be i guess awesome so like in that drive that that led you to that like everything else going on at the time like so i hear that like you're you're kind of going into the deep end not just ocean black but like you're you're kind of leaving it all behind to uh to oh. to be more of an active artist in the community because i'd love to touch more on on your career for a moment before we go back to ocean black itself and just Give us a little bit about like the roadmap that that led you to things like Ocean Black. Where where do you where do you place yourself in in, in the the current struggle of Hollywood in our generation? Sure, sure. So um, I uh, grew up in Massachusetts, studied theater my whole life, pretty much since the third grade. So that's my background that I come from. I um, I went to college for theater and acting and. I also used to build sets for plays. Um, at some point, I got a little disillusioned with my life and was like, I'm out. And um, also kind of simultaneously came out to Hawaii and um, met people who kind of looked at me like I was one of them. Um, for those of you who can't see me, um, 
I'm like this Hapa girl, you know, I'm half Korean, I'm half um, Caucasian, grew up in a very white town uh, my whole life. And coming out to Hawaii, it was really interesting because for the first time I looked like the people all around me and people just assumed I was one of them. And um, it was it was something that I never knew that I was missing, I guess, or that I never knew that I wanted um, until people were like welcoming me into their lives and treating me like I was one of them. So, um, just kind of a unique, um, point in my life. And so I moved out here, um, with my husband who was my boyfriend at the time, I think. Um, and we, you know, we're out here for a couple of years. I had said, I'll do anything. I'll be like a coffee barista and I will, um, just do theater, you know, on the weekends or whatever, you know, I'll do theater from time to time. And just in doing theater and meeting other people, I got involved in the um, film industry a little bit out here, just, you know, taking classes and, and doing theater. And um, eventually I ended up with an agent on Oahu and was auditioning for, you know, the big TV shows that were out. And um, meantime, I was also working as a concierge for eight years, um, having you know, theater and philosophy as a background and like also construction. It's just a sort of weird dynamic, but um, having acting experience, it is almost exactly the same thing as having sales experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so I was concierge for eight years, ended up um, answering an ad to be um, on-air talent for Maui Now, which is sort of like a local news venue out here. And um, and once they got to talking to me and were like, oh, you've got a brain in your head. You seem like you'd be good at sales. You have this experience. Like, you should get into um, airport advertising. Uh, <laughs> super random, but I ended up doing that and becoming um, the business development manager and... Um, and uh, operations manager for that for years. And then pandemic hit. And um, when that happened, I worked in the media. And so I was still an essential worker. Um, And all around me are all these people that I'm seeing going after their passion projects and like spending, having free time and going, I'm bored. What should I watch? What can I do? And I'm thinking to myself, if I ever had the vanity to be bored, um, God, I would, I would be moving mountains, you know, that, that's my plan. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I worked through it. I did the whole thing. Um, during that period of time, I was like, I'm not just going to let all these people surpass me. Um, so I ended up just really hustling and putting myself out there. I was modeling and acting. I ended up, um, on Magnum PI and doing um, a film, a lifetime film with you two, um, Sarah and Kavika, and um, you know, answering ads to do voiceovers. And um, at one point, I was just like, you know what? Um, I'm going to do this full time. I'm just going to, you know, and if I can't, if there's not enough acting to do full time, I've got plenty of other skills. I am not afraid to hustle. So, um, I mean, I do all kinds of other things. I build things and sell things and um, consult and, you know, for social media or for marketing related things. So I don't know. I'll do it all. But 
in the end, the point is to have the flexibility, to have the freedom to be able to be an actor. And so now you're you're free to be here in your freedom. Mm -hmm. It's led you and EJ and this whole cool creative machine and team together. And so how does this how do you feel that you as going through this relates to the things that you're you're getting to experience now with the characters that you get to be uh, particularly like referring to, to Ocean Black? Like how how does how does some of Patty show up? I mean, I know you guys aren't like I I'm going to ask you in a little bit, like, how far along is this? How much How much of it is secretly hiding away, and who do I have to kill to see more of it? But, no, but, yeah. like, where where are you, where where does, where do Patty and Tomeo intersect? And where, 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 where does that come in some of this? And then I'd also like to know, like, how, you know, Patty coming into your creative life, EJ, and how that's changed things. But, Patty, complete that thought. Yeah, yeah. So, I think earlier you had asked a question about what is our obsession, you know, as like a society with um, like superheroes or heroes, just in general stories about heroes. And um, there's this John Mayer song, um, Waiting on the World to Change. Mm-hmm. And it's something I've always really related to because he says this, this line, you know, it's not that we don't care. We just know that the fight ain't fair. So we just keep waiting on the world to change. And I think that that is, the sentiment of so many people all over the world. It's always kind of been something that I felt like, like I'm overwhelmed with the the problems of the world. And I want to make change, positive change, but I'm just not an idealist anymore, you know? Um, and, but I'm also, you know, like I said, I'm a hustler, I'm a hard worker, and I do want to see like change happen in the world. And so I read this script and EJ, I have to say, is way too humble. Um, this man has created universes inside of universes and different languages and different ways. I mean, the world that he has created is so in-depth and so layered and textured. And I I encountered it and was like, immediately, like, I, I have to be involved in this. Um, and then he's telling me about how disappointed he was with um uh game of thrones and um Daenerys, we all? Targaryen and, we all? yeah and just how um you know how they basically like did her character dirty as kind of they did words, but they yeah, did how, we need to take yeah, david benioff and, down the street buck naked and go shame shame <laughs> like no no are you no, I have many qualms with those guys. I no. After their last South by Southwest interview, when they was like, "Yeah, you know, we just read the back of the book and we walked in a treatment and uh, we told them we didn't want a rabbi and we'd executive produce it ourselves and they gave us nine million dollars, and then they crowdsourced the actors to 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 figure out the character story arcs. So yeah, no. So oh it's a blessing when you can run into a guy as talented as Mr. Wedge here, who actually takes the time to care about the characters and not just uh, yeah. homajang something together when they're they're bored and just go, hey, HBO, <laughs> my dad's got money. Can we do this? You know. So like, fight the power, EJ, because this <laughs> this is this is something strong is brewing. You know. Yeah, and it's just I think it's really refreshing that he wants to write it like this, and maybe not totally uh, unusual you guys were recently talking about something on one of your podcasts that made me um think like wow we have so much intersection but like um I think that there's been a shift a little bit in 
not just obviously our story, but in other stories that there's female characters that where their whole purpose isn't to be some romantic lead in a story, you know, but maybe also to actually carry the story and actually do something dynamic that means something. And sure, sure, they're human beings. They're going to have relationships, whatever. But to let it derail the entire story to take away from, like in a world like, in a world where it's important for women to be pretty and, you know, like all these things, like here's a world where it's important for a woman to grapple with her values and um, what she wants to see and happen and whether she can do that without being a horrible human being. Uh Um, To me, that's just so unusual, you know, as an actor. Uh-huh. A story like that as a female actor you know an yep. actress um so yeah sarah's like yeah i feel you girl <laughs> i'm so excited to see this for that reason alone i want to see this character so all right so now we this, we, we know how, how how this got started we know we know the the the, the modest operandi behind the creator so now that you got me sucked in ej now that I like, I cruised your site like three times and I was like, you know what? I have to say from creator to creator, um, I dig the fact that you're being very open book about your creation process. Like your, your website's like the basis for a pitch deck, but for the world instead of just the industry, you know? Cause like I hate, I hate boring industry oriented pitch decks where someone just hands you six black cards with a bunch of pictures and then maybe like a log line. So like the fact that like we're, we're like, what? This is March, so we're seven months away from, like, your full reveal thing, as you noted at the end of the trailer, right? Yeah, that's 11-22, right, or whatever. Well, that was the date on that. <laughs> we'll do something, then. We'll do as, something. As they, say, as they say, one thing I've learned from my boss, you know, who hopefully will never watch this, um, it, in terms of learning about marketing, right, is, like, you set yourself a target, and, you know, then you – Kind of work backwards from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going <laughs> so to the moon we'll today, guys. Done. Sorry. Can't go to the moon. We going down the street, bro. So <laughs> Yeah, no, I get you. I get you. You gotta recognize sometimes and it's good that you do. But so where are you in the process now? How how much is done? How much like I mean, so I heard script, like so how yeah. much how much script is done? What are we looking at script wise from you? Like where where's animation like test sure, uh, like so. yeah. So the work that I've done so far, right, besides the books, which we're looking at doing a re-edition and republish for the, the where I'm at with the show stuff is I went and did an outline for what I want to have for my proposal, which I like kind of rehearse in my head every day. It's, it's 800 minutes. It's three seasons. This is the story we want to tell. The script I started with, because, you know, I don't have $30 million, unfortunately, but, you know. You never know. Internet, if you're um, listening, let's in, start a Kickstarter. Hey, somebody, mean, go fund me right now. In the meantime, in the meantime, um, we started with like an eight-minute pilot that would try to demonstrate some key aspects about the character. But that was, you know, within the realm of me achieving it, right, without all this, maybe the space battles. Um, an eight-minute pilot script, right? And at this current moment, I'm sitting on two and a half minutes worth of animation, um, some of which the audio is done, but I wouldn't consider it final. And I'm probably going to go back and remaster it for everything that I have. So right now I'm at like an audio production stage while I am also working on getting funding for the next couple of minutes 
because when you're self-funding, you're it's a game of inches. Um, a rushing game, if you will, to forgive the football metaphor. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it's tough uh, and it's a small group of people um, and all great credit to, you know, who's probably, I think he's asleep right now because it's Don there, right? Dita Charisma, who's the animation director. He's based out of Indonesia. Um, you know, he's fantastic. Uh, and he's like the main supporting character in all of this. Um, you know, he's a, just a fantastic resource and you know, it operates a, 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 a pretty independently for me sometimes because, you know, communication is tough um, when you're in 14 hours apart, I think, in terms of time zones or something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. Beyond that, brother. Uh, so the production's moving. The production's yeah. rolling, right? In inches, but it's moving. So, like, intent of the show, like, uh, as far as, like, where you want it to go, how you want it to be seen by the world, distribution, like, what's, like, perfect world, like, lottery tomorrow answer? Yeah, bring, bring. Oh, hi, Netflix. Oh, thanks for calling. Great. So, yeah, let's put it on Netflix and let's, you know, market the shit out of it and let's put it up there with the other adult animation stuff that's getting consumed out there if i want to sit in between i think i actually wrote this in the series bible patty if there's like grotesque violence spectrum and avatars on one side where they're like oh did he die well we're not really sure he just fell a long way and castlevania where like you know women and children are eaten by demons we want to live like kind of in a happy middle between those two things um (laughs) but but i think to my earlier point, I think there's a bigger audience for adult animation than there used to be because families are kind of getting that stuff blended. And as long as it's not hyper-violent in America, hypersexual, that's also off limits. As long and there's none of that in this show, which is fine. Um, as long as you don't have those two elements, it's effectively mass media, right? Which is why Marvel and Star Wars are leaning into that so much because that sci-fi fantasy space, there's a lot of room to play in there as long as you don't have in America sex and violence that crosses the ever-shifting red boundary that happens to be wherever the hell the Karens decide it is in a given decade. I think they have like a vote, a secret vote every decade, and then it moves to someplace else. (laughs) that's how it works because personally i don't think it makes any sense every every decade that i've grown up it seems like the the mores or what's off limits completely changes when it comes to like you know uh, anyway no i sound like creation too we've talked a lot about kind of how to get it in front of the right eyeballs or how to, you know, are we going to do a Kickstarter campaign? Are we going to get produced by somebody else who's just got lots of money, you know? And we just kind of thought like the answer is make sure some people see it. Absolutely. Once people see it, that's, that's pretty much the start. Right. And so that's why we're working on gaining an audience and just working on like giving little tidbits here and there as, as much as we're able to mm-hmm. um, with what we already have. But it is, it is in that place where we're like, okay, now we need to like really start getting, um, you know, we need to get funded like anybody Absolutely. else. To get to that next so um, I, I will have to ask this question then because it's also going to open up a rabbit hole towards uh, a couple episodes from now when we start this conversation because I, I really the, the one of the biggest reasons why I want to see unique creators such as yourselves on this show is because how do we open up this process to other people um it's 
I, I've kind of taken uh, a hint from the scam culture of like Nigeria and like Haiti and stuff. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Here, listen up. Listen up. So here's the thing is they know how to survive. They know how to play Robin Hood. They know how to do these things because then some guy scams and then he goes out on the radio and he raps about it. And then he tells 100 guys on the radio. So the rap that I want to share on the radio is how do we get guys like you, girls like you, people like us, talented people forward in the direction and give them more tools to take on the industry, produce their content. Because I'll tell you this, I've been on $15 million movies. I've been on $1.7 million movies. I've been on $30,000 movies. And I've been on movies of cheese and pretzels wages. Uh, and... Nothing's different. Nothing's different. There's nothing that like a pitch deck for a five million dollar movie looks just as bad as one for a ten thousand dollar like children's feature made in middle school. And the people in charge are no different. Uh, like the occasional time that you find that wonderkind in a group, that cool AD on set, or those couple of extras that you're like, why are they extras? Oh, shitty hiring team. Blame it on casting. You know, like, but. That's the, the the conversation that I want to start and why you guys are, are out here, you know, that I, I really love that you guys came out is that I really want to start this conversation. And I want to ask you, since you're a very knowledgeable guy, what do you know about the Jobs Act and how it applies to filmmaking? I, I don't. And I feel bad because that's something I would usually hype to myself is something I'm knowledgeable about when I'm flexing on my wife. Like, did you read the news today, honey? So I actually, we could be friends. Oh my God. You, you play your wife's life just as much as I do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling her. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know that one though. So, so here's the thing. So I'm going to, I'm going to spit it down just a little bit. Uh, but so here, here's the deal. Um, quite some time ago, um, they enacted, the jobs act right and not many people knew what the jobs act was especially on the working class level what it could do for small business and hidden inside of that is section 181 of the jobs act and section 181 of the jobs act states that you can with your investors bankroll a movie with each investor putting in up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars max because that's the maximum claim limit they can get and tell me if you heard this plot before if the movie's a flop we all walk away with $4 million. What? Yeah, doesn't it sound like a Mel Brooks movie, kids? So, so here's the crazy part. Yeah. So, I've seen this movie Yeah, exactly. And then they made it real. And then, and then Obama was like, yeah, that, that'll get Hollywood behind me. And then Trump was like, shit, uh, it's going to get canceled. Oh, Hollywood will hate me. All right, cool. Reactivate it. And then Trump reactivated it. And then Biden reactivated it. Everybody, it's one of the only pieces of policy inside of the Jobs Act that everyone has agreed on because Hollywood has enough lobby power to keep it going. And it's also the secret reason why you see a million $7 Blu-ray bin movies at Walmart because they're all bankrolled by Section 181. Okay, so my big journey that I want to take all artists like you guys on is filmmaking, animation, TV streaming. It's a heist. This is Ocean's Eleven, kids. So get your team together. And I would like to help be your wheelman occasionally if you guys will have me, whether it be coming on the show, collaborating later, some anything to just check in on you guys, give a report like, hey, how's EJ doing? Tell me where the fight's going, how you talk to people, how you've opened doors for yourselves. So something to add to your toolkit, and I'll be adding it to my website 
website uh, later in the week, and I'll have some material to send you about the Jobs Act because I'm very, very uh, – it's, it's something that I'm like, I'm glad I figured it out. But then at the same time, I was like, I can't believe something like this exists. So <laughs> at its basic core, you can go out, bankroll a season of Ocean Black for a million dollars, right? And you can ask any number of guys to invest – as long as their minimum investment is $20,000 and their maximum investment is no more than $250,000. The total sum of investments cannot be past $1,007,000 and some change, the exact amount of million-dollar-plus taxes to file, right? And then after a cute little filing with the SEC, which really is just screenshotting your website, your pitch deck, and your payroll, the SEC turns around and goes, all right, you qualify, we'll tell the tax guys, and then... If your movie does not net any ROI for your investors after three years, they have three years. Yeah, but still, but that's the thing. Within the first, yeah, it's not that hard to make a movie flop in the first year. There's too much content out there, and that's the reason why these guys do it. <laughs> I've been stared at in the face by executive producers who go, "We don't care. We're all getting a paycheck today. Why should you care if anybody watches this movie?" And be like, "It's my career. I don't want a shitty bunch of things on the bottom of my IMDb that people go, "Why did he do that?" Like, I don't need to be Dean Stockwell. Dean Stockwell might be happy with being Dean Stockwell, but not me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <But> <laughs> how many crazy ass movies did he do once the talkie era started? Just because he could get a paycheck but um but no so then the thing is is that you you have this three-year period to really put up or shut up on making your money but in the process of the first year if it already looks like it's out the redemption period occurs for the taxes you are allowed 100 percent return for 22 years meaning that if you put in two hundred fifty thousand dollars and this movie flops then again, next year, on your taxes, you will get $250,000. And the year after that. And the year after that for 22 years. So this has started a whole new industry of investors in Hollywood that's been going on for about 15 years now. And that's why you see people who don't do filmmaking, why you end up on a set and you're like, who's that guy? And they're like, oh, yeah, he's a producer. And they're like, that guy is the producer? I thought he was just some creepy real estate salesman that just got lost on set. And then you're like, oh, yeah. shit, it all makes sense. Yeah, Patty's like, I met 20 of those guys and I didn't even know it until now. Yes. So that's the yeah. trick. And so that's like, so what happens is, is like you get international investors with equity in America, or you get, you get some guy who's trying to hide his boat from his ex-wife, or you get some guy who, who, you know, wants to buy a yacht, but write it off. And so then you go, Hey, give me $250,000. And most of these guys, because it's been around so long, they know all the jobs act benefits they can get. So what you guys got to do. So if you're, you know, yes, it's cool to go look for Netflix, but on the way, you got to go look for investors. So a nice piece of information you can tell your investors is, hey, bro, you take a chance on us. And by the way, this legislation is still good until 2024 right now. It's been extended again, and they've actually added back the three martini lunches, we like to call it. So anything that's production hours is a write-off under that million-dollar mark. So sushi for everybody from Crafty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know whether to be like mad about that or like don't get mad, get even up and down. Yeah. That's the way it goes. <laughs> don't get that is that is what brought me back into this industry. I was hiding in the nonprofit sector doing marketing and like volunteer outreach and, and all that stuff. And then like Hollywood drew me back in and they're like, hey, by the way, 
learn this piece of paper because none of us want to learn this piece of paper. And then I looked at the piece of paper. I was like, why the hell haven't I been making movies my entire life? If I knew this was the case, so take this with you. And if you run into other people, you're networking at mixers, like spread the word about it because this is something that can be tapped again and again and again. It's not exclusive. There's no limit on it. This is how the bargain bin scene exists because they're already straightforwardly going out there to make their springtime for Hitler and then it's a flop and then they all walk away with four and a half million dollars in taxes uh, for 22 years and and then you get your movie and you get a paycheck and then that's the best part is like at least you know you can set it to where like everybody gets paid yeah we can hope we can get some money but your art gets out there. Your project gets out there. And a lot of these bigger investors, they're tax guys. The second you say 181, they're like, yep, I know that form. Done. And that's all you have to be able to tell them, that it's a, it's a Jobs Act. It's going to be covered by the Jobs Act. We're going to hit this budget right here for a season, for an episode, for a mini series, whatever. And as long as you attempt distribution or streaming within the first year of completion, meaning like say, hey, I'm going to try to go Amazon self-distribution. Uh, if you if you've actually worked on a movie in Maui in the past eight years, nine out of ten, Jobs Act films, okay. And then here's the crazier part: so we don't just have the Jobs Act kit, but wait, there's more, okay. And so then what happens is is you can then combine this federal tax subsidy with local subsidies. So then, case in point, in the lovely county of Maui in the state of Hawaii. We are allotted a 30% rebate on post-production. Meaning, if we go out and spend a million dollars to make a movie, they'll give us $300,000 back as a big fat check as long as we promise to use it on distribution or to fix some debts to some of our earlier producers or escrow holders. And then you can decide whatever the hell you want to do with that $300,000. And then you can go distribute your movie. Wow. And that's different for each state. So, like, there's a reason why Atlanta became a hotbed scene because it had really good subsidies for a while. And then the subsidies fell out. Kentucky. Kentucky, like, 25% in most cases. But then the thing is, is the per state, like, needs. So, like, in Hawaii, you have to have 40% or more locals on set. So, they have to, have to be a resident of the state of Hawaii or be a Kanaka. And then you're going to get that 30% credit. So, then here's the, the crazy cool thing you can then tell your investor is that if you have something like that 100% security for 22 years on your taxes and you have a 30% immediate rebate in cash form, you can, by technicality, tell them that 75% of their investment is secure and they only stand to lose 25% in the here and now and the rest of it comes back in taxes. So they never really lose. And you magically turn $1, sorry, I got excited, you turn $1 into $4 every time. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Wow. Have I broken your okay, brains DJ, yet? You ready to look into that? I will send you the materials and anybody listening out there, if you kids are hearing this scam going on right now, this is how movies are made in America. 99% of your movies are made like this. If you go to if a movie's made in Kentucky, it's made with it. Sheesh. And then you know the re big reason why like most of the movies are going to Quebec and New Zealand? Because they have their own equivalent of it. So film to Canada, they've got and they've got better subsidies. They, oh man, dude, like turn coat and become Canadian and you could get more covered than just a million. But, and that's the thing. And here's, here's the crazier part is because as in most projects in Hollywood, each IP is its own LLC. So you can do this again and again and again. So you can be a season one LLC, Jobs Act. Season two, LLC, Jobs Act. I want to make a spinoff movie, Jobs Act, LLC. Let's go. 
Jesus Christ. This is how there are 25 new Bruce Willis movies out because they're going to, they go to Ohio and they call up and they go, let's go make a terrible movie for $1.7 million and don't keep it over budget because we can hide the rest. And then they get the tax credits and they go, yeah, I'm probably going to wow. bleep his name out so that way it's not mentioned. It's so disheartening oh though that like. But the disheartening part should be that people just don't share it. It's been there. Like any other government cheese, it's been there. You know, right now I kind of feel like that that crazy guy with the question marks and money suit on late night television going, buy this book today <laughs> and you can get grants from the United States government. You know? And that's yeah. that's kind of where we're at. It's like just like anything else in the world is how much is not in our purview because we've got the blinders of everything else in our lives going on. So then when we're told a morsel like this, it's like, damn it, why did I not know yeah. this before? You know? So, but with that, like that's half of my scam for making this podcast is is spreading this word. So I want to go on this journey with you guys. I want to be supportive in any way I can. It doesn't matter if like Appreciate it's that. a shout out on the podcast, yeah, so coming fun. back again with other guests or an understanding for Section 101. And then the only thing that I ask of you is spread the word again. And so then when you get through the process or if it helps you, you get through your process, you tell other people. Because the more of us that know how to do this, the less of us there are sitting on a set for some guy who didn't deserve it because he knew the paperwork, but he didn't have the artistic vision or he was just there to write some formula film. I mean, I kid you not, I've been in writer's rooms where you literally like have a director walk away from the rest of the team and he's got another project like waiting and they're like, hey man, so uh, what kind of uh, Section 181 films you got? I mean, people make fun of A24. Like it's it like they're they're dogging it on the gram right now just because like they're making fun of like the crazy like formula process for some of these films that are coming out as of late, and it's like those guys are killing it like between like their bonded contracts and their and their their subsidies like that's they're just gonna keep churning out content because they can call a guy who has a crazy enough idea that just might work and then they're like Jobs Act and then they how do you think Blumhouse became a thing? Their first movie was a Jobs Act film. The first movie they did wow. was a Jobs Act. They did it for eight hundred ninety nine and some change, plus taxes, and then the returns from that. And see, and they're the weird case of they made money, so their investors felt okay on taking the chance because they were going to get their money back. But then Blumhouse blew up, and then now look at where they are. So, it's it you know it can it can work to your advantage in the fact that it can give you regular work and create a paycheck. But if you watch yourself and you get caught in the hubris of the game, you could just get lost making a bunch of these films as cheap diamond store heists. When in actuality, you should only try to do them like one to four times legitimately in your career. And it's really just a way to like start a new label that nobody's like secure in, you know, just to put some insurance in it. Or say you just don't have any money and you really need backers who are going to want to take a chance on a guy without equity, you know. So we, we will share this more, and uh, we will unlock your minds some more. I would love yeah. it. I loved having you guys on the podcast today. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been super awesome. Like, I'm following Ocean Black on Instagram, so we got, we got ocean-black.com, right? Is that... That's your yep. website, ocean-black.com. Learn the lore of Ocean Black. And, of course, it's got awesome links out to their YouTube channel, their Instagram. Uh, where else? Yeah, that's YouTube and Instagram and, and .com, right? 
Yeah, that's that's, that's right. a good that's right a now. good holy trinity. That's enough spreading that that reach around. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And then of course, um, EJ, are you personally on social media? Or are you like silent from that? Is nope. it just yeah? No, I, I'm so bad at talking to people. Not, in case you not. couldn't tell. Well, that's okay because then they could just follow Ocean Black and get capped up with that, and then they could follow Patty Lee Actor on the gram, Patty Lee Actor yes. on the Facebook. Do you have a website, Patty? I don't. No. You don't. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll work on that. Present. You got to have that real estate, digital real estate. I mean, it's funny everybody's fighting over NFTs when realistically, man, buy your name as a dot com. Buy, buy your kid's name as a dot com. Yeah. Start naming kids. Start naming projects. Dude, sometimes I get bored like the Chinese do and just be like, I'm going to dream up a dot com today and hold on to it. For like, Oh, yeah, dude. I, 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 I got bored when Facebook pages first were invented and I made 20 pages to just like have. To have because I think I've gotten invited to all of them. Yeah, but no, I had no, but I have a hundred more because every couple years after it came out, I make a new page and then I just let it sit in the back because it has legacy value for that age. You fine wine, just hack the system with those fine wines, and that's another thing that we're going to talk about on the show that I'd love to share with you guys some more is how to hack that system. Not not just the one eight one. How to hack the the Google algorithm, the Twitter sphere, the gram, but Patty Lee actor. On the gram, Ocean Black TV. OceanBlackTV.com. Easiest way to remember. OceanBlackTV.com. But we're the, on Instagram. The Instagram we're handle. on Instagram. Yeah. yeah, we're on Instagram as Ocean Black TV. We're on YouTube as Ocean Black TV. Nice. All right. Well, do the two of you marvelous people have anything to say to everyone before you go? Thanks for letting us come on and ramble about all the things. Appreciate your time, buddy awesome time yeah it's been such a great time chatting with you guys and thanks for thanks for giving us a chance and piquing our interest as well we're going on the journey together but budding artists on the journey that's what it is so let's let's keep up the good fight sarah any last words no i just want to say thank you guys for coming on it's been really awesome just hearing about this new project i think i speak for everyone when i say we're all excited for the premiere of it absolutely excited and with that (laughs) thank you everybody for listening today we'll see you next week sunday aloha bye Rabbit Holes is a Manavacal production. This episode was produced by Kavika Hoke and Sarah Rodriguez. Make sure to subscribe and follow on your favorite podcast platforms to add our weekly episodes to your queue.